Welcome to Arbel Ministries podcast with Mark Whitehead. Today we're going to look at Numbers chapter 15 together. And as we reach Numbers 15, we are truly at one of the lowest points in the history of Israel. In previous podcasts, we've discussed this. The people have absolutely rejected God's plan. See, He wanted them to trust Him and to take the land that He was giving them. Instead, they sent 12 spies to look at the land and the inhabitants that lived there. And when the spies came back, the people wept because they thought they had no hope of defeating the people that lived in the land. That did not make God happy. He was so upset. And he said, you know what? I'm just going to wipe out all of Israel and I'm going to start again through Moses. If I was Moses and I knew everyone was already grumbling against me, it would have been tempting to say, you know what? Good plan, God. We'll just start over, me and you. But that's not what he did. Moses interceded on behalf of Israel. And thankfully, God sided with Moses. And that prayer caused him to have mercy on those rebellious people of Israel. Now, they still had consequences for their actions. That they would be um, led in the desert for 40 years, but God would not wipe them out as He intended. So let's look at the very beginning of Numbers 15 together. Because coming on the heels of that, it might be sort of surprising what's next in our text. But we'll unpack it. Numbers 15, we're just going to read the first three verses together. Here's what it says. Now the Lord spoke to Moses. Way to beer. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the sons of Israel and say to them, When you enter the land where you are to live, which I am giving you, then make an offering by fire to the Lord, a burnt offering, or a sacrifice to fulfill a special vow, or a freewill offering, or in your appointed times to make a soothing aroma to the Lord from the herd or from the flock. We see in verse 2 that God wants Moses to tell the people, when you enter the land where you are to live, which I am giving you, how good is God to his people? Even after they rebelled against him and essentially said they would rather die in the desert than follow him into the promised land, God still gave them the land he had promised. He still wanted to partner with them. How good is that for all of us today? So many times, you know, I've wanted to do my own thing rather than listen to God's will. And I've rebelled, you know, just like Israel. How good is it that he doesn't give up on rebels Instead, he pursues us in our rebellion 
and offers to still use us as He intended. Today, you may feel like you can't be used because of something that's happened to you in your past. You know what? I have good news for you. God has proven over and over again that He is still willing to use the rebel. He still has a plan and a purpose for you. He still wants to use you. He isn't finished with you. But you have to be willing to be used. Just like Israel, the next time he gives you a job, you have to say, yes, sir. You have to trust him. You have to obey him. Now, if you're a parent, you probably understand what God does in Numbers 15. As we've been walking through Numbers together in our podcast, we've seen the people over the past few chapters, they've been in full rebellion mode. And it's as if God just pauses the story and says, you know what, I'm going to give you some instructions. Let me give you an example of how this relates to us as parents. See, almost a year ago, my wife and I noticed that our children were spending way too much time on their devices, like iPod and iPads. So, we developed a media plan for them. They were given specific rules of where they could charge their devices, where they could use them, where they were allowed to take them, and when. It was a way for us um, to get the lesson to our kids of what was appropriate and what wasn't. And this is exactly what the Lord did for the Israelites in this chapter. He, he gives them a list of instructions about offerings and, and sacrifices they were to make when they entered the promised land. He just pauses the story and he brings them back as a parent would. He says, let me give you kind of some instructions and bring you back to the narrative because I am still going to get you into the promised land. Now let's, get, let's have some, some rules in place for that. And so for this teaching, for this podcast, we're not going to go into great detail about all these sacrifices that you read in Numbers 15. If you want further study on the differences between all of these offerings of sin offerings and um, the the, um, burnt offerings and the grain offerings, I would encourage you, I'll put a link on this podcast because I have a book that I've written on Leviticus. And the first six chapters of that book deal specifically with each type of offering in great detail. And if you're interested in learning more about these offerings, I would encourage you to pick up that book and study those first six chapters especially. Now let's, I'm going to fast forward in our story because there's so much I want us to get to in this chapter, but we're going to have to jump all of these instructions and these offerings and save those for a different time. Look at Numbers 15, verses 32 to 36. After God gives all of these instructions on offerings, we get to this Sabbath-breaking person who who gathered wood on the Sabbath. 
And here's the story. Listen, listen to what it says. Now, while the sons of Israel were in the wilderness, they found a man gathering wood on the Sabbath day. Those who found him gathering wood brought him to Moses and Aaron and to all the congregation. And they put him in custody because it had not been declared what should be done to him. Then the Lord said to Moses, The man shall surely be put to death. All the congregation shall stone him with stones outside the camp. So all the congregation brought him outside the camp and stoned him to death with stones, just as the Lord had commanded Moses. So as God is giving all these instructions about offerings, suddenly there's this story about a man gathering wood on the Sabbath. Now let me ask you a question. How does God view the Sabbath? Well, let's go back to Exodus 31. Exodus 31, because I think we're going to get a glimpse of God's heart about the Sabbath in Exodus 31. We're going to look at verses 12 through 17 together. Listen to what it says. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, But as for you, speak to the sons of Israel, saying, You shall surely observe my Sabbaths. For this is a sign between me and you throughout your generations, that you may know that I am the Lord who sanctifies you. Therefore, you are to observe the Sabbath, For it is holy to you. Everyone who profanes it shall surely be put to death. For whoever does any word on it, that person shall be cut off from among his people. For six days work may be done, but on the seventh day there's a Sabbath of complete rest. Holy to the Lord. Whoever does any work on the Sabbath day shall surely be put to death. So the sons of Israel shall observe the Sabbath, to, to celebrate the Sabbath throughout their generations as a perpetual covenant. It is a sign between me and the sons of Israel forever. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, but on the seventh day he ceased from labor and was refreshed. So in the middle of God giving these instructions, he talks about this Sabbath this guy breaking the Sabbath. And I want you to understand that God says that the Sabbath is a sign for our relationship with Him. Over and over in Scripture, it says that God is our husband. We are His bride. And if that's true, then the Sabbath is our wedding band that shows that we are married to our Creator, God. I think this is huge. See, in Exodus, as I've mentioned previously on my podcast, we see when God gives the law to Moses at Mount Sinai, we see every element of a Jewish wedding. And God was making it clear to His people today I am marrying you. And do you know what your wedding band is for the world? Your wedding band is that you will keep Sabbath. Oh, and I love Sabbath, God says. So much so that, oh man, there's going to be punishment if you don't keep it. Because it matters that much to me. 
Now, you know, sometimes we give the Jews a hard time for all of their rules. Did you know in Israel, I didn't know this before I went, they have a special elevator for the Sabbath, for Shabbat. It's called the Shabbat elevator. See, on Shabbat, if you're a Jew, you can't push the button on an elevator. That would be work. So, they've developed elevators that automatically stop at every floor on Shabbat. So you get in and you don't have to press anything. You're not doing any work. Now, why would they go to these extremes? Well, I'll tell you. They want to obey God. And he's been very clear that he doesn't want his people to work on the Sabbath. He sees the Sabbath as holy. And they also know that God's love language is obedience. See, Deuteronomy 11.1 says this, You shall therefore love the Lord your God and always keep His charge, His statutes, His ordinances, and His commandments. And the, the way it's written in Hebrew, it says, The way you love God is that you obey Him. That's His love language. Obedience shows Him that you love Him. So today, Jews go to extremes to make sure they aren't doing work on the Sabbath because they want to make sure God knows, you know what, God, I love you. I love you so much that I'm going to obey you. And on this day, this one day of the week, Shabbat, I will not do work. Because over and over in your word, you tell us that Shabbat is holy. It's reserved for you. And we are not to do work on that day. So they don't. So in our text, this man is gathering wood and the people bring him to Moses and Aaron because it says in the text, it had not been declared what should be done to him. Verse 34. Wait a minute. Back in Exodus, we just read it. It said that the person was to be put to death for working on the Sabbath. What does it mean when it says they didn't know what to do with him? Well, ancient rabbis taught in the Talmud that that saying meant that they just didn't know the mode of execution. They knew he's supposed to die. It said specifically he was supposed to die, but they didn't know exactly how. So here they are asking Moses and Aaron, well, we know it says that they are to be killed, but how? And specifically, it says in verse 35, God said, stone him to death. So that's, that was the punishment for his breaking the Sabbath. Now, I hope you see why it's such a big deal to the Pharisees when Jesus is picking grain on the Sabbath in Matthew 12. And we think, we read it and we think, come on, guys, relax. The reason the Pharisees even exist was because God had gotten so upset at his people for not obeying him that he sent them into captivity. If you read the Old Testament, Israel goes into captivity in Assyria comes and takes them. Later, Judah goes under the captivity of Babylon. And as they are in Babylon, in Babylonian captivity, you start seeing these groups develop like the Pharisees, like the Sadducees. You start seeing synagogues develop. And I'm telling you, when they got back in Israel, they said, we're not going to make that same mistake again. 
So this group of Pharisees said, we are going to take God's word seriously. If he says it, we're going to do it. We don't want him to get so mad at us that we repeat our mistakes. So guess what? They decided to memorize it. They decided to, to obey every letter just to show God, you know what? We are serious about this. We love you and we want to put you on display. And here the Pharisees are in the New Testament and Jesus is picking grain on the Sabbath. And this group knew Numbers 15. They knew Exodus. They knew that God said, do not work on the Sabbath. And when Jesus started picking grain, you understand where they're coming from. When they start saying, huh, do you think you should be doing that, Jesus? Numbers 15. Now, I want, to f- I want to spend the rest of our time in this podcast looking at the very last few verses of, of Numbers 15. I think there are some things here that we need to take to heart. Starting in verse 37, The Lord also spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the sons of Israel and tell them that they shall make for themselves tassels on the corners of their garments throughout their generations, and they shall put on the tassel of each corner a cord of blue. It shall be a tassel for you to look at and remember all the commandments of the Lord so as to do them and not follow after your own heart and your own eyes after which you played the harlot so that you may remember to do all my commandments and be holy to your God. I am the Lord your God who brought you out from the land of Egypt to be your God. I am the Lord your God. You know, God loves using physical things as memorials for, for Him and His Word. And let me give you a few examples of what I mean. Joshua 4, the people entered the promised land. What did the Lord instruct them to set up? He told them to set up 12 stones. Now, why would He do that? We well, said specifically it was to be a memorial, a memorial. It was something that they could look at and remember what God had done at that very spot as He allowed them to enter the land that He was giving them. But you see, it wasn't just for their sake. Because the text also says it was something that when the children come by and they say, Daddy, what are those stones over there? It gives you an opportunity to share what God had done. So you see in Joshua 4, God says, put up these physical monuments to remember things by. Another example, tefillin. Tefillin. Tefillin are boxes that have scripture on them. And hopefully you see a picture on your podcast player right now of, of what they look like. But Jews wear them today at prayer times. There's one that they had put on their head. There's one they put them inside their right arm. But the reason why they do it is because of Deuteronomy 6.8. God told His people to bind His words on their hand and on their forehead. So they used these to fill in during times of prayer. Now understand in Jesus' day, 
many scholars believe that all Jews wore them all the time, not just prayer time. That became something they did later on because of um, other reasons, because of persecution. But so they wore them all the time. So if you, as you mentally picture Jesus walking with his disciples around the streets in Galilee, picture them with these boxes on their heads and on their arms, because more than likely that's exactly what they look like. So tefillin became this visual thing. Do you think you think about the Word of God when you have that tefillin on your head and on your arms? Absolutely. It has pieces of, of God's Word in it. Okay? Our text gives another physical memorial. It talks about tassels. The Hebrew word is tzitzit, T-Z-I-T, Z-I-T, zitzit. So what were these tassels? Well, we're going to get into that, but understand, it said specifically they were to be placed on the corners of their garments. Let me give you another Hebrew word, and this is going to come back into play in a minute. I'm going to show you how big this is. The corner, it says, is the word kanath. Kanath. And I love this. This is so like God because he tells these Jews to put tassels, zitzit, on the corners of a round garment. Can you just see the rabbis arguing with one another of exactly where God wants them placed as they're trying to find the corner of a round robe? Today, if you go to, to if you see Jews or if you go to Israel, you'll see that a lot of them wear these prayer shawls, especially at times of prayer. And these prayer shawls have four tzitzit. They're on the corners of the prayer shawl, all four corners. But that is yet another picture for them to remember what they're supposed to be practicing in the Bible. Tzitzit. Now, these tzitzit are supposed to have a blue cord. Why would they have to have a blue cord? What, what is blue? Like, like, why that color? Well, blue's the color of royalty. Now, not just for Israel. Blue is the color for royalty with sur- for surrounding nations as well. So, wearing blue showed to the entire community who was royal and to other nations. So what happens if every Jew is wearing blue? What does that say to the other nations? It says that every one of them are royalty. Every one of them were royalty. Well, God already said He was going to be their king. He already said in Exodus 19.6 that they were a kingdom of priests, all of them. And they were a holy nation. So it makes sense that God said, you know what? Since all of you are a kingdom of priests, I want all of you to wear blue every day. And they did. On their zitzit. Now, let me show you where this comes into play in a different story. And if you know the Hebrew, it really makes this thing come to life. 
If you turn to 1 Samuel 24, there's this story of David and Saul. If you remember, Saul is chasing David. They're in En Gedi. And just so you know, I would love for you, if you're listening to this podcast, to come to Israel with me so we can go to En Gedi and we can talk about this story, where it actually happened, and you'll never forget it. It will come to life like you will not believe. So here they are in Gedi. Saul goes into a cave. And the Bible says to relieve himself. He needs to go to the bathroom. Guess who's already hiding in that cave? David and his men. Now this is David's chance. God's already said he's going to be king. David could end Saul's life right there in the cave. And he could be king. Is that what he does? No. The Bible says David cut the edge of Saul's robe. That's 1 Samuel 24, 5. The text is very specific because it says he cut off Saul's kanaf. Kanaf. Just mentioned a minute ago, kanaf is the word for corner. What was to be placed on the kanaf of the robe? The seat seat. The tassels. So I hope you get this picture in your head because the tzitzit has the blue strains which shows royalty. And in that cave, David cuts off Saul's tzitzit saying, you know what? Your time of royalty is over, Saul. Now, this was a turning point in the story. David escapes out of the, the, the cave. And if you're there with me, I'll show you kind of how he would have come down. And he gets far enough away from Saul and they start having dialogue. Well, Saul, when he found out he didn't have his seat seat, came to the conclusion that David would be king. In verse 20, here's what he says. I know that you shall surely be king. How did he know that? He knew that because of the symbolism of the tzitzit. As David cut it off and he had his tzitzit, it was a physical sign that saw you will no longer be royalty. So that's just one example of where some of this context matters. And we see... Another example of tzitzit in the New Testament. Let's, let's talk about another story in the New Testament where this comes into play. Matthew 9. We read this story of a woman who had been hemorrhaging for 12 years. And there was this great rabbi that had just come into town and everybody in the town knew that he's, he's, he's a healer. And this woman has exhausted every option available. Jesus was her one shot for healing. And somehow, some way, Matthew 9:21 says that she knew all she had to do was touch the fringe of his cloak, it says. Now, what was located on the fringe of Jesus' cloak? His seat seat, his tassels. Now let me ask you another question. Why did she think 
that simply touching Jesus' tassels or a tzitzit would heal her. Malachi chapter 4, verse 2. Malachi 4.2 says that when the Messiah comes, he will have healing in his wings. And you're like, what does that matter? That, that, That doesn't help at all. No, let me tell you what it says in Hebrew. He will have healings in his kanath. Oh, his corner. Oh, the place where the tzitzit is. Yes, precisely. And so this lady knew that if I can just touch the corner of his garment, if I can touch his seat, I will be healed. And it worked. And after she was healed, Jesus told her, here's what she said in verse 22, your faith has made you well. Faith. It means she, had no, she knew God's word and she believed it so much that she put it into action. Her faith made her well. She knew Malachi 4.2. She knew that if she touched his zitzit, there's healing in his wings. And she believed it so much that she did it. And he looked at her and he says, your faith has made you well. So understand, if tassels are a physical sign for us to remember some spiritual concept. What were the people to remember when they looked at their tzitzit? If God said, everybody wears tzitzit, and it's going to be something you're going to remember me by, what are they going to remember? Well, look back again at verses 39 and 40. Numbers 15, 39 and 40. Here's what it says. It shall be a tassel for you to look at and remember all the commandments of the Lord. So, first off, when they looked at the tassel, they were to remember God's word. First and foremost, they were to remember God's word. Did you know today's tassels have five knots? Why five knots? It represents the Torah. The Torah, the first five books of the law. So when they look at their tassel, they see those five knots, and it takes them right back to God's word. Let's keep going. Look at and remember all the commandments of the Lord so as to do them and not follow after your own heart and your own eyes after which you played the harlot so that you may remember to do all my commandments and be holy to your God. So when they looked at the tassels, God says, you're going to remember my commandments and as a consequence, it will change the way you live. I'm not just making you wear tassels for no reason. And by the way, can you imagine wearing these tassels all over the place? I mean, they're a nuisance. They hang down. You step on them. They get under rocks. You try to stand up and you can't because it's, you understand. But every time you look down and see that tassel, God says, remember my word. Now, we don't wear tassels anymore. I understand that. But you know what? What if our Christian symbols became like tassels? What if they became something that we looked at that would remind us of who we are in Jesus Christ and what our mission from the Lord entails? What if 
the crosses we put in our homes and on our, on our necklaces became a reminder that changed our behavior. Hmm. I, I remember being 16 years old. and My dad gave me his Honda Civic um, and I was so excited. First thing I did was go and buy one of those ichthus uh, symbols on the back of the car. Had the little cross in the left-hand corner, you know. And, and that's what I put on my car. And, and that symbol was something, to, I, I guess it was something I was trying to evangelize my community. I, I'm sure when I get to heaven one day, there's going to be a line of people saying, you know what, I saw that ichthus on your car, and I'm here because of that. I don't know. But you know what, I had something else in my car. I had a cross on the rearview mirror. And that cross was not for anybody else. I mean, nobody else could even really see it. But I saw it. Every time I got into my car, every time I got out of my car, I saw that cross. And it was a reminder of who I am. It was a reminder of, of what Jesus did for me. It was a reminder of who I was to serve. And I just wonder, what if the purpose of our Christian decor, of our necklaces, of all the crosses in our homes, what if they were less about evangelistic tools and more about, when we see them, reminders of who we are? Reminders of who Jesus is. What if they were more like tassels? Well, let's break down exactly what these, the purpose of these tassels. The first thing that God said was when they looked at the tassels, it would remind them to do His commandments. Not just remember His commandments, but also put them into practice. The tassels would remind His people to put into practice the things He had already commanded them. Now listen. We don't have to get every rule perfectly right because Jesus has already done that. But He still wants us to obey. I mean, I mean, listen, John 14, 15, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. That's Jesus. My love language has not changed from the Old Testament to the New Testament. Do you want to tell me you love me as your as your husband, do you want to tell me that you love me? Then you obey me. That's what he says. What if when we look at crosses or we look at our Christian symbols, what if it took us back to God's word and took us back to the fact that he wants us to walk out what he says for us to do? That would be powerful if every time I looked at a cross, it brought me back to the importance of obedience, of walking out His Word. Okay, the second thing about tassels. The tassels would would teach the people not to follow after their own heart. So when they looked at their tzitzit, their tassels, it would remind His people to not trust their flesh. And let me tell you, they needed, just like we do today, constant reminders 
to follow him. Don't go after your flesh. Don't go after what feels good. Go after me. One of my favorite verses in Proverbs is Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. It says this, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him and He will make your paths straight. When we look at the cross, when we look at our Christian symbols, it should remind us to trust the Lord and not to trust in our flesh. And guys, we need that constant reminder. What if every time we saw a cross, our mind went straight, number one, to God's Word, to remember it, but number two, to say, hey, I'm going to act out what He tells me to do, but then number three, to say, you know what? I'm going to trust Him, not myself. The text goes on in Numbers 15, and it says that um, the reason He gave tassels was so that they would not follow after their own eyes. So that they would not follow after their own eyes. Now, tassels reminded them, live by your ears, not by your eyes. See, our eyes deceive us. We see stories of like Samson in the Bible, and over and over he lived by his eyes, and it got him into more and more and more trouble. And God says, don't live by your eyes. No, live by faith. Live by your ears. And it's so tempting to live our lives based on what we can see. That's why God gives us 2 Corinthians 5, 7, for we walk by faith, not by sight. And as we look at a cross, we must remember that the Christian walk is a walk of faith, not by sight. It's trusting our ears as God gives us instructions, hearing our shepherd's voice and obeying him, not what we see. What if every time we saw a cross, it reminds us to be people of the ear, not people of the eye? The last thing we see in Numbers 15 about the tassels is the tassels would remind his people of their call to be holy. As they looked at their tassel and they looked down and saw that blue cord, it was a reminder, you are a priest for me. You are to be set apart. You are to be different. And the same is true for us today. 1 Peter 1.16, it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. Believer, you are called to be set apart. And as we look at a cross, what if we examined our lives? What if we stopped for just a moment and examined, are we really set apart? Or do we look like the world? Am I really holy as God calls me to be holy? Or am I trusting my flesh too much? Now, today... We don't have crosses and ichthuses or all these other symbols to prove that we're a Christian. Understand that. God gives us these symbols to remind us 
who we are living for. We're living for Jesus. Therefore, we are to follow his commands. We are not to follow after our own heart. We are not to follow after our own eyes. We are to be holy for he is holy. And when you look at those symbols, be reminded of who you are in Christ. Just as a Jew would be reminded as they looked down and saw their tassels. You know, I want to finish this podcast with one word of caution. See, pride has a way of messing up what God intends. At the time of Jesus, there were these super elite Jews, like these super Jews that were making their zitzit extremely long so everybody could see them. And people knew, hey, there's healing on zitzit. So, you know, hey, you want to touch mine? Well, guess what? You don't have to reach out very far because it's so long. Matthew 23, 5. Remember what happens there in the book of Matthew. Well, let's look at that text together. Here's what it says in Matthew 23, verse 5. But they do all their deeds to be noticed by men, for they broaden their phylacteries, their tzitzit, and length, excuse me, their phylacteries, that's what we talked about a few moments ago, their tefillin, and lengthen their tassels of their garments, their tzitzit. Okay, so, so here they are doing things so people could see them. Understand, that symbol was not to be for other people's sake. Do you see that? Zitzit was there for a reason. It was to remind them who they were, to remind them of God's word, and remember, and for them to remember their mission. Instead, the tassel became more of a showpiece for others to see. Listen, I, I don't care how many crosses you have. I don't, I don't care how many necklaces you have that have crosses or ichthus. I, I don't care if I go to your home how many things you have on your walls that show that you belong to Jesus. Listen, they don't prove how holy you are. I don't care how big that cross is around your neck. They don't prove your holiness. Is They sure don't impress God enough to say, oh, wow, my goodness, look how holy he is. Do you see the size of his cross? That is incredible. And if you think that just by putting up crosses on the walls of your homes or wearing jewelry with a cross on it makes you more holy, you are falling into the same error, error as the religious elite in Matthew 23 when they made their zitzit so long that everybody could take notice. Your Christian decoration is not simply about evangelism. And maybe you think that is. Maybe you think, you know, I don't have to share the gospel if I just have a cross around my neck, so I'll wear that. That'll make me feel better about my evangelistic efforts. That's not what they're for. See, the cross, those, those symbols, are a reminder of what Jesus has done for us and how we should live in light of His immense love. It should change how we live as we look at those things. Let our crosses change us as we remember Him. Let me ask you, because of all this, I don't know what God has spoken to you on, but I want to go back as we finish this podcast and just remind you of one thing. 
the very beginning, we talked about how God still wanted to use His people, no matter how much they've messed up, no, no matter how much they made it about themselves, no matter how much they've rebelled, God still says, you know what? I'm still going to give you the promised land because that's who I am. And some of you listening to this podcast may not be active for the Lord because the devil has deceived you in saying, God can't use you. You've missed it. You have, you have blown it. So just go to church and maybe read your Bible, but you can't have a position for him because, because of your past. Understand God loves to use rebels. He loves to use people like David who blew it big time. And still, he says, that's a man after my own heart. He loves to use people like Paul or like Peter or all these people that we consider heroes of the faith who have blown it. But God is a redeeming God. Do not let the enemy deceive you in thinking that you cannot be used for the kingdom. God can and will use you if you're obedient. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. If you have any concerns or any questions, you can find me on Twitter at Arbel Ministries or you can email me, Ministries at gmail.com. I look forward to being with you in the next podcast. Thank you so much for listening.